This episode of The Better Business Show is sponsored by Narrative Matters, creating content that sings for organisations that want to change the world. For more details about how we can help you develop amazing content that really works, check out narrativematters.co.uk. Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. We all talk about moving away from the tick box um, CSR agenda, that those days are gone. It's definitely not today about showing the amount of money that you put in. It's more about the social activation and impact that you are achieving. Yes, we're in the company of Nick Davies this week, the founder of the awesome website Neighbourly.com, making it really easy for businesses to connect with community projects that really need their help. Forget Facebook, this is the social network for creating social good. Stay tuned. Hello, welcome back. This is episode 17 of the Better Business Show. Thanks for tuning in and being there. If you're coming to this uh, to the show for the first time, perhaps you've stumbled across us on social media. Uh, there's 16 other episodes you can listen to. Um, go to betterbusiness.show. You'll see them all there, and you can you can listen and download each one. Um, so this week, yeah, it's our usual format. We're going to hit you with a great story from Neighbourly.com. That's coming up. And then we'll have our usual 10-minute roundup of news and what's happening across the world of better business with uh, Vicky Knowles. She's joining us towards the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. Thanks to everybody that gets in touch each week and gives us a shout-out on social media or just emails to, to say hello or to give us feedback on the show. I really do appreciate it, and uh, I invite anyone else that, that wants to do the same. Uh, also, if you're running a business or organisation that you think would be perfect to be featured on the Better Business Show, then you know get in touch. You know, if perhaps you're doing something really special out there to create positive and environmental or social change, then you know we'd love to have you on the show. We've got some brilliant guests lined up in the in the coming weeks, um, which I hope you'll enjoy. But but we're always looking to add to that roster of brilliant business stories. So um, if you think you've got one, then then shout. It might not be your business; it might be a, a business you've stumbled across that you think actually. Yeah, that'd be perfect for the for the podcast. Then uh, then give me yeah, send me an email. It's it's Tom Idle at narrativematters.co.uk. Uh, so please get in touch. Uh, I think back on all of the guests we've had over the last sixteen weeks. Some amazing people, amazing stories, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to to those as much as I've enjoyed um, speaking to people. Next month, we're going to be producing a a document, a PDF document that will present all the the insights and the tips and advice that we've managed to garner over the over the last 16 weeks um, and it's something we'll produce every month and, and continuously update it so that all of that great insight is in one place as a reference and a reminder uh, of the insight and the inspiration and the advice that we've received from our guests each week uh, we're going to call it the better business show cheat sheet uh, if you'd like to get that cheat sheet, then all you have to do is give us your email address and we'll send that to you as a downloadable PDF. Just go to betterbusiness.show and fill in the form, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll make sure we send that to you exclusively. Uh, so do do that. So before we start the show proper, uh, I just want to take a moment to give a shout out to my own business, Narrative Matters. We've just celebrated our first year in business uh, last month. We're a growing content creation agency specializing in all things sustainable business. So perhaps you'd like us to help you develop stories, editorial content, marketing tools, white papers, reports, uh, the best journalism to support your fantastic sustainability efforts. Then, then get in touch. You know, perhaps you're at the start of your sustainability journey, and you'd like help in developing the narrative for your organisation. Uh, well, that's what we do. Uh, so get in touch. Um, I know we do the jingle at the start of the show, but I realise I never, I never really get a chance to to talk about what I'm busy doing beyond this weekly podcast. So that's what we do. Um, yeah, have a look at the website narrativematters.co.uk, and you can see all sorts of of clients that we work with, big and small. Uh, and some of the things we might be able to help you with. Uh, so please do that. So this week we're going to be talking about technology and the ability of technology to create positive change um, and how new developments in technology and how people use it to to really drive the, the better business agenda. Because there's you know so much connection between the need to create more sustainable conditions on this planet 
uh, more responsible business that goes with that uh, and and technology and the way we we interact with our planet and our things and our community is being aided and, and driven by the advent of brand new or repurposed technologies which are hopefully making it easier for individuals to just do the right thing and um, and of course we are going to be looking at a number of these technologies during the course of, of doing these shows um, but let's let's just have a look at some of the, the the latest developments I think the internet of things no doubt you'll heard you'll have heard of the internet of things lots of talk about how smarter devices can seriously save us energy and money particularly giving people more control about how they use their appliances in the home, things like washing machines and other sort of energy-intensive appliances. Um, there's an interesting new report that's just come out by uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation called Intelligent Assets, uh, in which it sets out a vision for what and how uh, a lot of things could be, be aided by the creation of more circular and efficient systems, smarter devices giving more information and data and making it easier to kind of maximize the utility of materials and optimize the amount that can be looped back in to to, to subsequent products again we've, we've spoken a lot about the circular economy and and, and how that can, can come about um, last week we spoke about the fact Avery Dennison is going to put tags into clothing giving uh, this whole uh, whole bunch of uh, cloud-based data on items of clothing so you can track them through their life cycle and give people advice on how they can recycle clothes when they come to the end of their their life and they want to throw them away. Uh, there's also a host of fantastic tools and software being used across the supply chain space to really boost transparency and help companies understand risk. Uh, things like the World Resources Institute Global Forest Watch, which was a website which, when it was launched, was uh, a bit of a game changer, really, because for the first time, companies could see in real time where logging was happening in 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 different parts of the world and and how that logging corresponded with where their suppliers happened to be based uh, and they could find out whether their suppliers were actually being guilty of illegal logging so that really changed things um we've spoken about uh spoken about energy storage on the show we had tumalo on we had lime jump right back in uh, episode two i think it was um again not a new technology but the way companies are now using energy storage on a big scale is is, is quite unique uh, battery storage has the ability to kind of smooth out spikes in uh, wind and solar production which as we know is intermittent uh, again we spoke about that with uh, the guys from for uh, James Williams at zap uh, a couple of weeks ago um, the, the next big thing is, is virtual reality something that is beginning to be used by a number of of charities actually to actually put um, potential donors in a virtual setting so perhaps in a village somewhere in the developing world where people can experience what the impact of their donations might have in a kind of well real life setting using inverted commas uh, so lots of interesting uses for, for virtual reality I should also mention two degrees uh, which is a, a big community of sustainable business professionals uh, mainly because we we mentioned them briefly in today's show when we speak to our guest in a moment. Um, I used to work there. I headed up the the community at Two Degrees for a few years, so I know well the impact of social networks on on trying to create change. And Two Degrees has for many years acted as a kind of facilitation tool to um, for the hundreds of thousands of suppliers to big businesses, so companies like ASDA and GlaxoSmithKline, and it's a way of of those suppliers talking to each other and sharing best practice so they can kind of help each other find uh, efficiencies within their own companies and that's something two degrees very does very very well and it's the concept of connecting different players via a social network that we're going to discuss during today's show you're about to meet nick davies he's the founder of neighborly.com a social platform that aims to leverage the power of what such platforms can do to effect positive change by linking up businesses and community members. And I'll let him explain more about what he's up to. Here he is. Nick, thanks for being on The Better Business Show. Delighted you could join us. Uh, Neighbourly.com is a business I've been watching with much interest uh, for the past few years. Uh, tell us about Neighbourly. Give us the elevator pitch. What have you, what have you created with this business? 
Okay, thanks, Tom. Uh, great to, to be here. Uh, the elevator, the core idea behind Neighbourly is to create a social space to connect companies to community projects. That's what it does, in essence. But that's really part of a much bigger vision. The vision really is to try and enable business to work with fans, with customers, to really amplify their social impact through whatever it is that they have to give, be that an element of funding, some volunteering from their colleagues, or maybe distribution of surplus, anything that they would rather give away than throw away. Mm-hmm. By creating this unifying giving social space, we hope to create an opportunity for customers to work with companies to get more done. And that's really the aspiration behind the Nably vision. Yeah, and and what I love about the, the the platform, I've been playing around with it this morning. It's just so easy to use, and I've I've been on there. I you know search for community projects in in Maidstone in Kent, which is where I'm based with my small business, and I stumbled across a number of sort of fantastic charities that I didn't really you know know before. Uh, very quickly, I can understand what it is they're trying to do, what sort of help they're looking for, and how as a business, you know, I might be able to help with donating time and money. Uh, and of course, you can kind of you know create noise with with you know social media. Um, I, I know you know social platforms like yours can morph and, and shift over time to become different entities used in different ways. But was the original intention of the site that this would become this kind of hub of for, you know for good causes and businesses and connecting the dots? Absolutely. So my background was uh, I used to be a marketing agency guy. I used to run an agency of 200 people that increasingly recognized that there was a specialism to create around local. We called it localization because about five or six years ago, um, post uh, market crash, so many brands realized that they had a huge trust issue and they really wanted to rec- they really wanted to do something about the fact that as their strategies became more global they were perhaps losing touch with local right but it's really hard to do if you choose to try and engage at a community level you've got to go and find a project you've got to engage it you've got to manage that process and get some sort of outcome some sort of evidence of of social impact and if you're trying to do that manually it's prohibitively difficult to do that at scale so if you're a big brand and you want to do more you need a platform that simply makes it easy and and everything you've just um uh um uh, told us about in your own experience is exactly how companies should use neighborly project is free for projects come and put your project and tell your story so that companies can search by location, by category, by tag, and where they find a project where they can make a significant impact, then they can engage and they can back the project. And that really is the core idea. So first of all, we're empowering companies by making it easier. But what follows on, I suppose, is the reason why companies really get excited about this. It's an opportunity to co-create and tell stories about what you're doing at a local level. And that inspires colleagues and others to come and get involved and do more. But it also pulls in a significant amount of data, who you're talking to, who you've engaged, the impact that you've had, et cetera, et cetera. So you're starting to, I suppose, tick all the boxes. You've got something that can allow you to demonstrate your scale and turn that into impact. But you're also getting quality content and data out of a platform that's making this easier. Yeah, right. So during your agency days, were you kind of working with clients? And, and, and is this where this idea kind of germinated? You thought, God, I, I wish something like that existed. Completely. So what we found was that we were going through a process with clients at a local level of, of what we called moving from broadcast to pointcast. So often you'd find that if you had a communication strategy, there would be certain pockets where that message, that strategy simply didn't engage. Um, and it was always that because of uh, local conditions. Maybe there was um, an unusual set of demographics within a certain community that didn't match um, your communication agenda. Maybe there was a legacy issue or an, or an unusual competitor scenario, but the issue was always local. Right. And we found that we could point cast the media spend by doing ultra localized communications that would have an impact that would, you know, that would connect better to the people within that community. But the real breakthrough was when we started taking that media money and putting it into a community project, literally going and asking the community, how could we actually make an impact, leave a legacy here rather than just pushing messages at you? And there would always be a unifying story, a project that needed fixing. And we found very quickly that if we put the media money into into that campaign, 
that we would significantly move awareness, um, engagement with the brand and ultimately footfall and commercial opportunity. So everyone talks about the win-win-win opportunity that's here and it's real. If you do the right thing by your customers, by society, they respect you for it and it creates commercial opportunity. Businesses all want to do more, but they're not just going to do it because it's the right thing to do. It has to deliver a commercial return. And um, fortunately, all the data seems to prove time and time again that that is what you will realize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly, a number of big corporates really loving what you're doing. You've got a number of them uh, signing up and and supporting you quite heavily now. Marks and Spencers, Heineken, Starbucks. Um, I mean, if we take a company like Marks and Spencers, a big supporter of yours, how how does the platform specifically kind of support their own sustainability agenda? So what's been uh, amazing to watch with Marks and Spencers is the way that they've moved through through phases to really engage the full capability of the Nobly platform. To start with, they decided that their charity of the year for last year should be a local charity chosen by an individual store. So we were able to connect every single store with that local partner charity, which has been really interesting because it's empowered staff to choose the charity that they've wanted and it's created those relationships. So it's been a different way of doing a charitable engagement locally at scale. Beyond that, um, Marks and Spencers have also really, I suppose, co-developed with us our food surplus capability because if you think about it, Nably is a platform that connects companies and community projects, but it's also an opportunity for a store to say at the end of any given day, this is what we've got left, which community project wants to come and collect it off us. So we're reversing our functionality to make that work. We've now connected every single Marks and Spencer store to a food recipient. So we're, we're connecting food surplus and redistributing tens of thousands of meals already and we've only really just got started so that's really powerful as well and then the third piece which i think is the bit that's most exciting for me is um marks and spencers are using nobly as a a tool to to be a catalyst so they have a program called spark something good where they will visit 24 cities in 24 months and every time they, they they visit a city they find 24 projects in seven days where they can make an impact, but invite their customers to come and join in. So if one of the projects, let's say, is a beach clean and it needs 20 people, they might send four people from the store, but they then might open it up to customers to say, who wants to come and fill the 16 spaces? Now, when you've got 83,000 staff, but 34 million customers, they've really worked out that the 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 catalytic impact that they can have by engaging their customers is absolutely huge. And that's where I want businesses to go with the Nobly platform. Yeah. And and so in terms of, you know, say, say for instance, choosing that charity that, to support during the year, what, what would Marks and Spencer have done before? I guess it would have just been a much more onerous task for them to establish projects to support and then kind of create the mechanism to kind of make that happen. I suppose you're doing all that for them, aren't you? Well, so most of the conversations we've had with many brands is... Um, we don't want to stifle um, anything that a local store feels that they can and should do. And this applies to many of the brands that we talk to. So some have um, allowed independent choices. Others have created a top-down control and simply you know, not, not been able to facilitate it. I think what Nably creates is the best of both worlds. The, the brand can say, we're trying to find projects that fit this agenda. Let's say this is the global goal that we particularly think that we can deliver against. And so we're looking for projects that maybe target youth in disadvantaged communities around sport, for example. Yeah. But within that strategic agenda, you can still empower the store to choose one that fits that criteria. Right. So you really are getting the best of both worlds of empowerment, but also a strategic degree of prioritization. Yeah. I, what I also like about the site is the kind of the levels of transparency available. And you can see, you know, you can see just how much cash these big companies are spending. I think Heineken has pledged, what is it, £130,000? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wonder how happy these companies are with that level of transparency in terms of, you know, not just how much they're spending or donating, but the impact they're having. I guess before, you know, these types of projects that they would support are kind of, you know, they happen behind closed doors. They're kind of, they're buried somewhere in their CSR report that's produced every year. I mean, what's that conversation like about that sort of level of transparency, which is really, you know, open for everyone to see? 
transparency is critical to the whole concept of Navely. But I think what's really interesting is how different brands choose to turn the dial. So you can do an awful lot with Enabley and be quite um, passive about how you communicate those stories. You can be there to be discovered, if you like. Others might choose to choose to take a couple of those campaign stories and, and to push them across social media and communicate what it is that they've done. I suppose for everyone, what they're trying to get a handle on is the measure of authenticity in what they're doing. That's the most important thing. I think if you're doing something that is genuinely authentic and not directly related to any sort of product or sales promotion opportunity, you might feel quite comfortable celebrating what it is that you've done because it mm. might attract others to join in. I think something else that's happening and and we anticipated is we all talk about moving away from the ticks, the tick box um, CSR agenda, that those days are gone. I think it's definitely not today about showing the amount of money that you put in. It's more about the social activation and impact that you are achieving. Yeah. And so the mix between volunteering and finance is starting to become really interesting. But also the two ways you can use the platform. You can listen and you can watch and you can react to what society is asking for help on. Or you can choose to create a big campaign idea that maybe fits to your global goal strategy and say, hey, society, this is where we really believe we can make an impact. We want to find projects that look like this. If you think you can organize one within your community, here's the toolkit. You can access it all from the page. Mm. Get your crowd together and we'll come and support you. That really does become interesting because that's about genuine collaboration between what the brand believes they can bring in order to leverage their experience for impact and how to engage society and co-educate them on what really needs to change in the way that we manage our water and the way that we look after um, our environment and educate our children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's also about, you know, tangible results, I guess, isn't it? And I think the, the food waste project that you've been working on is just a fantastic example of, of how you're able to have, you know, impact at scale uh, and, and tackle a big issue, which is, you know, quite contentious. A number of the food charities I've spoken to over the last few years, you know, say that they they receive too much food or they're getting too much in some parts of the country and I guess not enough in other parts of the country. And I guess your platform can help to kind of smooth that out, can it? It can, and I think what's really interesting for us is the final mile. So um, we're all aware of the legislation that's been passed in France and that is moving through our own process here in the UK. Um, and it's great that we are using a degree of legislation, but also tools like Nably to try and effect change. But it would be a problem if we were to force food surplus out of the back doors of all the supermarkets in the UK, that 250,000 tonnes, and it not to get to the right destinations. For me, what's important is we empower society to do their bits, to go and collect. Because if you go and collect, the supermarkets are really predisposed to getting involved if the distribution challenge is taken away from them. So, mm. so the fact that Nably is unifying projects and creating this communication device between what a company has and what a project needs or could use, it really does empower, I suppose, um, projects to do some of the heavy lifting that when taken away from business just makes more happen faster. Yeah, yeah. I running a a social community platform is is tough, as you know, Nick. I spent a few years running Two Degrees, the community yes. platform, which is obviously a completely different business to yours, but similar in lots of ways. Um, uh, Two Degrees has kind of morphed into something a bit different now, um, and it was it was incredibly tough managing that community of users and getting them to kind of to do stuff. Um, really hard to kind of incentivize engagement, encourage people to keep coming back again and again to use the platform. How, how do you do that? What's the key to your success to running a community like Neighbourly? So, Tom, this is the critical question. And, you know, if you're trying to start a, uh, in effect, a digital marketplace, which is, which is what Neighbourly is, mm. who goes first? This is always the challenge. Do you go and get, you know, thousands of projects in order to create an opportunity that attracts companies? Or do you need companies to go first and make the pledges in order to attract the projects? Yeah. The key success factor is managing that growth simultaneously. But for me, this has always been about how to use the expertise and creativity of business and brands to engage society to do more. 
ultimately what we're saying is we want to try and slightly shift behavior. Everybody can do a little bit more, but what yeah. is going to activate them to do that? It might be a mate who says, come on, let's go and do this run together. Let's maybe go and do a good gym run, for example. But the capacity for brands to leverage all of their skills to actually engage us and to get us moving is what's really interesting about the Navy opportunity. So, so we're growing steadily and organically, but the real catalytic effect is when brands say, actually, we've got a great campaign idea here. Let's give it a push across our social media channels. Um, and Marks and Spencers and Heineken have done that. And what you can see is that that creates a degree of awareness and reach that will really start to create that exponential growth, which nobody needs to see. So it, it's coming and it's, you know, it's relatively slow burn, but with, we're at that point of critical acceleration now, which is getting quite exciting. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly powerful. I mean, how, how do most of your users use the platform? What, is your, what does your data tell you about kind of user habit? Um, so at the moment, user habit is um, really driven by engagement with those campaign opportunities. So we um, often projects go through moments in time. And what's important to realize about Nably is it's different to crowdfunding. There is no close date. So you don't have to ramp up and, and try and hit a target that if you miss, you, you've, you, that's a wasted effort. The project lives on and evolves. So you can go through different phases, needing a period of uh, an amount of funding for a certain phase and then maybe 15 volunteers to come and do a cleanup for another phase. And you can ramp up and engage your users at any point in time. So people are using it in different ways. People are checking in regularly to see what volunteering events are springing up near them because that's a relatively new uh, function within Nably. Right. We will launch in the next uh, four to six weeks individual giving as well so that people can give alongside within the platform. So that's another reason to keep coming back and checking in. Um, or people might be very specifically engaged by a particular project and concentrate on that for a period of time. I suppose that the, the, the point is it's up to you. It doesn't require you to, um, to commit to anything. There mm. is no cost involved for a project. It's free for projects. It's free for users, and it always will be. And so, therefore, it's just, I suppose, upon us as a platform and the companies that work with us to invigorate and engage and inspire people to come and do more by the campaigns that they create and the content um, and the things, the opportunities to get involved. Right. And, and presumably from a kind of, you know, a business cash flow situation, getting those kind of big corporates on board to support what you're doing was, was, was the game changer, was it? Absolutely. Um, our model is that, you know, companies pay a monthly subscription for the service that we're providing. And there's a, a, there's a many different kinds of value in there. The, the HR engagement with your colleagues around volunteering, the data, the storytelling opportunity. Um, so we've been able to evidence that there is a business model behind a platform that has a social purpose. Um, Nably is a B Corporation, which is a really important statement of intent for us that we intend to get, provide to people and planet as well as our shareholders as part of this journey. And, and so getting that B Corporation accreditation has been really important, I suppose, statement of intent. Um, but yeah, we've, we've evidenced that there is a business behind this. And actually, as that business grows, it's able to put more back into projects within its own platform. So, so that's enabled us to keep going on this journey and um, to raise the funds that we've needed in order to do what we do next which is expansion into our next 10 markets yeah 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 I, the whole b core movement is is really interesting we'll be doing a special on that in a, in a couple of weeks looking at some of the companies that have gone down that route so that's interesting you, you've done that i mean forgive the question but was that always the intention that you you'd get corporates on board i mean you know was there always that plan to do that Yes, absolutely. The core model and the, the, I suppose the vision that came out of my previous work was companies want to do more of this. They have incredible capacity. I personally believe that business, when galvanized, could become the greatest force for good that the world has ever known. And mm. there's a strong, compelling event now to drive that agenda, which is the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. So I always believed that companies would pay a monthly subscription for a platform that made that easier and provided all the outputs that we talked about. What's really important about that is it means that we can keep the project side completely free always and there will never be any advertising banner advertising within the site because that's not our model it's yeah. so important that society can trust this platform 
and know that actually, like many other social platforms that scale up and then try and find a way to monetize, that yeah. ends up detracting from the user experience, our users should know that that isn't on the agenda for Nably because we have a different model. And so, yeah, that's always been the design of Nably. And what sets it apart from, you know, many other great, great um, social ideas out there that are running on, a, I suppose, a, a different um, business model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also wonder how kind of proactive you guys will be in future in terms of identifying a big environmental or social issue and then finding a kind of way of, of kind of tackling that issue. Obviously, you look at food waste. You had, you know, Marks and Spencers behind that campaign. I mean, how, how does it work? Is it about leaving up to the community to find those issues that need to be overcome? Or is it about you showing leadership as, a, as an organization to say, right, this is a big issue and here's how we're going to deal with it. We'll get a corporate backer. We'll get the community engaged. How does that, how does that work? I'm so pleased you've asked that question because you've identified the, um, the ultimate ambition for Nably, and that is we're more than a platform. We're building a movement, and we're trying to build a movement that really draws people in because we're tackling the red tape and challenging the, the things that are really stopping society from doing more. Right now on food, there is a lot of confusion about how to um, redistribute ambient product, um, uh, sandwiches, for example, because there's a lot of concern about the health risks, appropriately so, of course. But perhaps if you look at the legislation, which is which was um, uh, written many years ago, it's perhaps out of date with society's needs today. Now, one of our team, Steve Haynes, is working with the Food Standards Agency to try and pull a working group together to try and tackle that, um, that red tape and try and work out whether we can find ways to make it easier for companies to redistribute sandwiches. Because that needs to be done. Somebody's got to tackle that. And we're as well placed as any, given what we've done so far, to take on that challenge. So we absolutely need to be a movement and we need to tackle anything that we believe is standing in the way of more people and more companies working together to get more stuff done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, your, your data and uh, you know, the, in terms of the projects that people are posting must be hugely valuable in terms of giving a snapshot of what's going on out there. What are the things that people are, are you know struggling with? I guess if you looked at your data a couple of years ago, food was the was the big thing with the the emergence of food banks in the UK. Uh, are there any other kind of patterns emerging from your data that kind of point to societal environmental trends? Um, it's a bit early at the moment to really say that we're spotting trends, but as the user growth grows within the platform, as we start to align our categories to the sustainable, the 17 sustainable development goals, and as we start to cross-reference some of the engagement numbers and the reach numbers and how those fit to the goals for companies, yes, you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, we are a digital social platform and the data opportunity will just grow exponentially as we get more users and indeed more requests from companies as to, as to what we can attribute. So we can also look at providing overlays on geodemographics and how to do mapping of disadvantaged communities so that everyone can see whether we're using a platform like Neighbourly democratically. Um, so there are so many opportunities in the future as the user base grows, and that's really going to become a really key part of why companies might come and collaborate within the platform and sit side by side to work together to see what they can do as a as a collective agenda. Yeah, and and so what's what's next for for Nably? Obviously, very UK based. Plans to go outside the UK, Nick? Absolutely. So we're in those conversations now, predicated by um, you know. The, the companies that are using us who are saying you've proven this this works and and we want to take it to wherever we operate which is a fantastic situation to be in so we're talking about looking at our next 10 to 12 markets and how we can achieve that within the, the next 12 months uh, which is very exciting and um, uh, we're close to finalizing a plan on that i mentioned that we'll be switching on individual giving within the next four to six weeks and really that takes our product to I suppose um, uh, let me call it a resting point we'll have got to a place where we then have companies able to contribute funds and volunteers alongside individuals also able to contribute um, volunteering days and funds and then the opportunity for, for business then to say right we can use this tool to go to our customer base and all do this together 
becomes really significant. So that's a big stepping stone in the development of the Nably product. But Tom, as I'm sure you can guess, there is so much more that we want to do with this um, in terms mm. of um, bringing more compelling content into the, the way the product works, how we can encourage people to, to do more. I could use the term gamification. I don't like it, but, but the principles of recognizing and rewarding people for what they do within Nably is important, and, and we can work on that. Um, mm. and, and partnerships. Partnerships now start to become really interesting because there's two jobs to do here. If we're going to encourage more people to do more, there's an education piece that needs to be done as to why that's important and why now. And Nably is the action tool to facilitate that. But we need to join those two agendas up. And so the partnership conversations we're, we're having right now um, with international partners are very exciting with regards to how we can join up to achieve more together. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask kind of, you know, what does is, what is good look like? I guess it's all about impact, isn't it? It's, it's about closing that gap between the number of projects that are posted and, and how many are backed. Is that is that how you judge success? Um, it, it's a, that's the critical success factor is to work out what the right conversion ratio is. Um, mm. And I suppose we'll always be watching that within the site because we want people to believe that if they put a project into Nably, they have a really good chance of it being backed. And of course, by switching on those individual contributive features, then that really starts to help. Um, and also every project is living and breathing all the time. So so the definition of being backed is changing given some of this new functionality. But what does good look like? Um, we are building the social network for social good. And to me, what good looks like looks like is to create a collaborative unifying force around the world that actually genuinely creates a combined ability to get more done. That's a pretty lofty goal. But that's always been the goal, and the product is is um, taking us to that place. And I suppose most importantly, the engagement that we're having with the big global brands that, who aren't the be-all and end-all, but they're certainly the people that start this off. We're already having conversations down through supply chains with certain clients who are saying, we'd love to get our suppliers involved now because we can see that this is working for us and working for society. Let's show what we can do together. Or conversations with certain clients and their partners saying, actually, when it comes to volunteering, we're pretty limited because maybe we're based out of three locations in the UK, but our partners are prolific and everywhere. So together, we could create a huge volunteering campaign. So we will trickle through to small to medium-sized enterprises, to cities, to local councils who want to put a little bit of seed money into activating a project and attracting companies to come and support them. I mean, the opportunities are endless. Hence the, you know, the phrase social network for social good. We really believe that that's what we're building and we have an opportunity to make it real. Yeah, I love it. Well, I think it's brilliant. I mean, I, you know, using that power of technology and, and social media to really affect change and, and get stuff done is, you know, at, at scale is, is what it's all about. So it's, uh, it's fantastic. Our audience of listeners, I'm sure they would love to get involved in some way. Nick, what, what, what are they best off doing? Come to Nably.com, look for projects in your area. Um, we're acquiring projects all the time. We haven't shouted too much to, to get many so far, but we're at the point now where we're really actively recruiting. So see if there's anything there where you live. If not, think about projects that you know about that might like to come onto the platform. Maybe you could start one, but certainly then have an, have an explore and see if there's a way to, for you to get involved, to volunteer within um, a, a radius of where you live look at some of the companies and the campaigns they're doing and maybe that might inspire you or somebody you know to start a project it's all about what we can learn from each other how we can inspire each other and get more people active great well we look forward to seeing what, what happens next with neighborly.com um wish you all the very best with it nick thank you very much thanks tom great to speak nick davies there founder of neighborly.com uh, so if you're a business of any shape or size and you're looking for a local charity or community project to support, then yeah, go over to neighbourly.com. It's brilliant. Really easy and simple way to to join up the dots and, and share what you're up to on social media. All of the details on Nick and Neighbourly are online within our show notes. Just head over to betterbusiness.show now for that. Um, okay, right. It's time for a brief update on the news from across the world of better business. Let's find out who is doing what and why with Vicky Knowles. Hi, Vix. Welcome back. 
Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. Yourself? Enjoying the sunshine very much. I know, it's finally arrived. Finally. And, uh, yeah, the shorts are out. Not mine, but everyone else's by the looks of things. So, yeah, let's, let's start with um, what's happening with uh, the Mayor of London. Last Thursday, we had the, um, a whole spate of local council elections in the UK. Um, and of most interest was the contest uh, to become the new Mayor of London. And obviously, the Labour candidate, Sadiq Khan, uh, grabbed it. Uh, of course, he was up against Zach Goldsmith, the Conservative MP uh, in Richmond, who obviously has a, a background in green issues. Uh, his uncle uh, famously set up the Ecologist magazine back in the day. So, uh, but yeah, Khan grabbed it. So, what will he? What will that mean for for London's uh, green economy? Well, there was plenty of crossover actually between his manifesto and that of uh, Zach Goldsmith's, but. But Khan did have a few novel ideas up his sleeve. Uh, whether that actually swung it in, in winning the, the contest uh, is unlikely, but uh, but still. Uh, so, yeah, Sadiq Khan, he wants to be the greenest mayor ever. He has a target to run London on 100% green energy by 2050. Uh, he wants to introduce clean bus corridors, which would prioritise new clean buses for those services that run on the most polluted roads in the city. That was something that, that Zach Goldsmith also proposed. Uh, he's going to call upon the government to introduce a diesel vehicle scrappage scheme to support those who wish to change to a greener car. Um, he believes that delivering electric charging infrastructure in partnership with the private sector is absolutely crucial for major expansion in the use of electric vehicles. And he set a provisional target of only buying clean electric or hydrogen buses in the capital from 2020. Um, there's also plans to reinvigorate waste reduction uh, and increase the amount that London actually recycles. Uh, what was it here? That, uh, supposedly get the capital back on track to hitting its 65% recycling target by 2030. There's also a pledge he made to ban fracking in London to plant 2 million trees to provide more green buses, expand the ultra-low emission zone along the major arterial routes uh, into London. Um, and he also wants to, uh, to divest the London Pension Fund Authority of its remaining investments in fossil fuel industries. So again, he had lots of novel ideas that, that, not, that weren't quite similar to Zach Goldsmith. So uh, it'd be interesting to see, um, see what happens next. Yeah, it's kind of cool that this is the year of the Green Mayor and the candidates were fighting it out on their commitments to make London one of the world's most sustainable cities. It's surely a sign that the public actually do care about these issues, otherwise the Green Agenda wouldn't be so high up the list. Um, it's quite exciting to see what happens with this new mayor and we're lucky to live in a country where it seems to be taken seriously. Like with all the candidates backing that target for London to become zero carbon and run on 100% clean energy by the year 2050. Yeah, that's right. And, and actually, the contest this year, uh, there was a lot made of the environmental agenda, which was which was really interesting, uh, not least because of the contention over the, the third runway at Heathrow, uh, which most of the candidates were, were against. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting landscape in London right now. Definitely. Um, so on my radar at the moment is IKEA. I think I've talked about them before, but they're always doing kind of interesting stuff. Um, so IKEA has launched some sustainability-focused products, very much for the urbanites, including a new hydroponics garden kit that is supposed to be foolproof for growing herbs and veggies in your house. So what is hydroponics exactly? Um, well, simply put, it's growing plants without soil. So the idea is that wherever you live in the world, you should be able to cultivate these greens all year round, bringing food growing to city apartment dwellers like me. <laughs> Um, while this kind of nice add-on for the West, while this is kind of a nice add-on for the Western world, systems like this could also help those in developing countries better their diet or even make a bit of extra income. So similar hydroponic setups do already exist, but apparently they often require a bit of know-how to put together. But in true IKEA fashion, they've created something pretty simple to set up and maintain. Um, and they're also bringing the Slada Dutch-inspired bike to. Um, their European stores. So the bike uses a belt drive instead of a traditional chain, which means it's supposed to last two to three times as long as a regular chain at over 9,000 miles. Uh, the aluminium frame is also super light for commuters to lug up and down the stairs once they reach the office. It's cool. Do, do, do you like IKEA, Vix? I do. I actually live very near one as well, so I can just kind of 
walk there in 15 minutes and, and have a little mooch around. Um, but I can't, I like it, but I, I would say I, I kind of like the experience more than I haven't actually got that many of their products. Okay. Okay. So many people I know absolutely hate IKEA. Really? And I, I love it. I mean, I'm with you. I think it's brilliant. But the whole business model of IKEA is, you know, it goes completely against the whole narrative that it builds up around, you know, becoming a sustainable business and, you know, something its chief, chief sustainability officer, Steve Howard, openly admits. You know, it sells loads yeah. of stuff really cheaply. It sells loads of stuff we don't actually need. Whenever I go there, and I always have something that I want to go for because we have to drive quite a long way to, to go to our local one. So there's always a purpose to go there, but I, I very rarely end up getting what I set out to get and I end up buying loads of stuff that I don't actually need because it's so cheap and you just kind of grab it. And, you know, these new products that you've just described are probably exactly the same, completely unnecessary, but we'll probably go and buy them anyway. Um, yeah, the, the, exactly. Do you know what I mean? The, the, bike, <laughs> the bike does look very good, though. I like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of their option for one. And to be quite honest with you, I actually really love the idea of the plants. <laughs> so I'm actually tempted to just pop over there and get some. Another another company that I suspect that you are a, a fan of, uh, Vix, is Etsy. I am a fan. In fact, I had a shop on there for a little while. Oh, did you? Right, okay. Well, it's just, it's just, if anyone doesn't know, it's a, it's a sort of marketplace, a bit like an eBay, isn't it, for, for people that make and sell crafts. Um, and they have been a B Corporation for a while now. Uh, so plenty of kind of purpose and, and social good built into their, into their model. Uh, but they're now focusing on solar energy. Uh, by 2020, they want to completely power their headquarters, here, which is in Brooklyn in New York. Uh, as well as some of their other sites in Florida, West Virginia, and Utah. They want to power those places completely with renewable energy, so they're going to completely cover their roofs in lovely solar panels, and they're making a you know, fairly big investment. Um, and they're going to buy the rest of the energy ne- they need from, from local solar plants, uh, and they've entered into some long-term agreements to do that. But here's the interesting bit. They're actually going to engage this huge community of, of sellers. I think they've got 1.6 billion people selling stuff on their site um, and they're going to reach out to them and say look you might work from home you might be making cards or uh, ceramics or, or a number of other different kind of arts and crafts things um, and why don't you also install solar panels in your, in your home so the idea is that the company counts the offsets generated by a number of these distributed solar installations on roofs of, of people selling via Etsy uh, towards the emissions generated by its its shipments, uh, which the company says uh, accounts for around 95% of the company's kind of footprint, if you like. Um, and so, yeah, it's great. It's negotiated discounts with a number of solar companies, and it will pass those discounts on to each seller. So it really incentivizes them to, to stick solar panels on their own roofs. And uh, I think this is a great example of how, how a company like this can really use its power, its its leverage, its buying power to kind of strike that deal that then it passes on to this huge community of, of suppliers. Um, by the autumn of this year, the company says it expects 300 uh, sellers to, to, to sort of sign up to this scheme and then it's going to work out what, what it wants to do next. So good. And like you say, clearly... The most interesting part of the project is the fact that it's encouraging its sellers to get their solar on as well. Um, it's a great way to generate that collective impact and even just to start the conversation among members in countries that won't immediately benefit from the project. And uh, your listeners probably know that Airbnb has done something similar to this. So they've partnered with NRG Home Solar to bring incentives to their members as well. And I think that was late last year. That's right. I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Really good. Cool. So, uh, yeah, my second story is uh, one for the ladies. Um, If you needed any more proof that having more women in the workplace was a good idea, a new report from Morgan Stanley put some hard numbers to it. So the report found that firms that have a balanced number of men and women in the workforce pay equally and offer work-life balance programs like daycare and maternity leave tend to have better returns on equity and are considered higher quality companies. So for these companies, their stocks outperformed their lower diversity peers and also tended to have fewer liabilities and lower volatility related to return on equity. So why is this? 
Well, the analysts think it's partly because those higher-ranked companies tend to have a longer-term focus and consult a wide diversity of viewpoints before making strategic decisions. But it's being proved time and time again that diverse companies outperform their less diverse counterparts and are better at attracting and retaining talent as well. I'm not surprised by any of this. I think, you know, uh, women are just better at a lot of stuff. At least that's what my wife tells me. Um, but I know there's, you know, there's a lot of work going on right now, with, particularly in these sort of more enlightened companies, to kind of address the diversity gap, uh, particularly at board level. And I, I, you know, I was going to say that news stories or, or sort of evidence like this should help to build a case to do that. But, but really, you know, companies should be doing this anyway. Uh, there's just no space right now. There's no, you know, it's just not, it's not socially acceptable really to, to to have that gender imbalance and huge differences in pay. Um, when we were at Two Degrees, Vix, we used to run the results of the, the Acre salary survey, you'll remember well, mm-hmm. um, which was a kind of snapshot of what people were earning within the sustainability field. Uh, and it was by far the most popular piece of content that we would ever sort of share with our community there. Uh, because, you know, people are fascinated by by what other people earn. And, and every year it would always show this huge gap between what men earned and what women earned. And this, you know, the sustainability sector is supposed to be an industry that you'd think would be on the more progressive end of things. Um, I noticed that ED.net has just produced something similar uh, last week. Um, uh, its latest, I think it's called the, the Sustainability Salary Snapshot, but it shows that the average annual salary of men working within energy sustainability or resource efficiency is about eleven and a half thousand pounds higher than women, uh, so you know very little is changing, uh, which which does surprise me really. Yeah, so I mean, the sustainable industry in terms of like engineering and science, there's there's a we want a lot more women in those places, so there's going to be a just dis- big disparity in in the amount of men and women, and same with tech as well. There's definitely some industries are better than others in terms of like having a balanced workforce. But the thing about pay just seems ridiculous. Um, but I don't think it's going to be, they're going to be able to do that for much longer What with it, the companies having to publish it, publish their, their pay publicly. publicly. So, um, yeah, right. it, it, it'll be a thing of the past thing. I hope so. But it, it just, it's just odd that the, the, the gap doesn't seem to be uh, getting any smaller. It just seems to be staying the same year after year when we see these sorts of results. And uh yeah, it's frustrating. Anyway, Vix, I appreciate you uh, coming back and sharing your stories. Before we let you go, we should give a big shout out to uh, the the show mascot in the background there. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's she wants to be a part of the show. Um, she's had to be shut in the other room, but clearly she's uh, voicing her opinions. And adore, we will not stop that. <laughs> so we'll see. You, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Okay, that's it for another week. Thanks for tuning in and coming back to the Better Business Show. We'll be back again next week. Um, in between that time, don't forget to um, subscribe via iTunes. Is probably the best bet. We're also on SoundCloud. Uh, we're also on Deezer and Stitcher and TuneIn as well. So lots of places you can listen to the show. Of course, BetterBusiness.show is the place where all of our episodes are located, along with the the show notes. So do check those out. And just a quick reminder, if you want that uh, Better Business Show cheat sheet that I mentioned earlier, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Again, that's on the the homepage of the website, betterbusiness.show, to do that before next week. So we'll be back again next Monday. So until then, goodbye.